in my eyes, everything that I do is a learning experience. There's so much to learn that I don't know about and I love learning so much that uh, that overrides any other kind of fear of failing. Yeah, I just really, really am passionate about young people and the skills that they have to contribute to the world and I'm such a believer that young people can change the world if they're given the chance to. I kind of do love being on Instagram, on my own Instagram though, because I just... I find myself hilarious. (laughs) We know. (laughs) So life's too short to leave important words unsaid and inspiring things undone. If you love someone, tell them you love them. If you are not happy with something, say, speak up about it. If you want to do something, do it. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. So for this episode, I finally convinced the mysterious Angfoot, which is actually pronounced Angefoot, as you'll hear shortly, to come on the show and tell her story. I've had so many requests to hear from Ange, so here she is in all her hilarious glory. While we've heard from so many incredible guests who are well on their way to seizing their yay, Ange is just 22 and at the very beginning of her journey, so I thought it would make for something a little different to have a younger guest on the show. Having said that, she nonetheless has squeezed more into her life than people decades older than her, which is part of what makes her so interesting. While Andrew's studying physio full-time at uni and absolutely loves all things science and anatomy, she has also built and recently sold her own food truck business called Paper Planes, created a solo charity ride from Adelaide to Melbourne covering 800 kilometres on her bicycle to raise $22,000 for stand-up events combating homophobia and discrimination, started boxing from scratch and trained for her first fight where she won by technical knockout after just one and a half rounds tried out for fun but successfully then became listed in the vflw for this year worked across many different businesses and industries now going freelance in creative and digital marketing and that's just half of it you can see why she's such a motivating and life-loving person to be around While we met through our businesses, Ange is one of our closest friends and an absolute human ray of sunshine. You can tell that we get a little bit off track from time to time, probably forgetting that we were recording and not just chatting between mates, but hopefully you enjoy nonetheless. Angelina. Hey. Finally got you on the potty, even though you did start with episode one. Thank you so much for getting us started. It's all good. It's taken 33 episodes to convince her to finally come on and eight months time. But here she is, Angfoot. I still don't think I have very much to give, but I knew that... Um, We're going to clearly come back to that in the ATA when we get to (laughs) (laughs) self-doubt. But first, as you know, I love to start every episode asking everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them. And your Instagram is a tribute (laughs) to (laughs) down-to-earthness and keeping it real. (laughs) But for anyone who has only heard your bio, which I will have obviously recorded and added to the start you'll seem quite intimidating especially for your age so can you tell us something that's super down to earth about you um it can't relate li- to your bodily <laughs> <laughs> noises either <laughs> that defines me um no 
Honestly, I literally am the most normal person. Like the fact that I have one follower on Instagram. <laughs> but you. highly engaged. I'm a very engaged, <laughs> active member of your community. No, literally, I'm actually the probably the most normal person you will have on this podcast. Like don't have, you know, a multi-million dollar business and I'm just a 22-year-old doing my little thing. But if I had to say something that was like normal about me or makes me normal, and I'm not allowed to talk about bodily function, <laughs> but that doesn't exclude the fact that I've got a whole highlights reel on my Instagram of me on the toilet. I told you you weren't allowed to talk about <laughs> bodily functions. <laughs> Okay, well, that and I, my teeth don't touch. I actually just wrote that down. I was like, remember to ask Angela <laughs> why she can't eat sushi. So, so my teeth don't touch at all. I think because my molars are too big or something and my front teeth, teeth don't touch. And so when I bite into things that have like a thin skin... I can't actually break the food. So, like, for example, sushi. <laughs> or pizza. <laughs> so I'll bite into a sushi and I'll get all the filling. But then when it gets to the cutting the, the food part of it, I just – the seaweed just strings out from my mouth, which is kind of gross, but, like, I just I've have to it. do it. And then <laughs> same with pizza. If it's a thin crust pizza, I'll have, like, the beautiful topping and then just the crust. <laughs> I think we need to maybe do a visual demonstration later on I'll Instagram have because I don't think people can understand from that. Anyway, it's pretty funny. So your way to yay. I know you think that it's not much of a story, but Ange, guys, for 22 or for even 32 or 42 has squeezed an enormous amount of different adventures into her life and has one of the most interesting and diverse ways to yay of all our guests so far. So take us back to the very beginning. Tell us about young Ange. Your full name is Angelina. Maybe actually first tell us about why Angfoot and then explain. <laughs> so explain why you're called that and then explain who you are, where you came from, about your family and young Ange. Okay. So Angfoot is a name that was given me by Sarah and Nick because I spell my name, my full name's Angelina and I spell Ange, A-N-G. And we had Ang. a very, very long fight <laughs> as to why, if it's A-N-G or A-N-G-E. And I firmly believe that it's A-N-G because we're going to have to do a poll on this. Yes, let's do a poll. Ange is A-N-G because A-N-G-E is Ange. That, that is my final decision, Eddie. Okay, <laughs> lock it in. <laughs> lock it in. <laughs> so why foot? Foot, oh, okay. So for when Sarah and Nick got engaged, me, Engaged. Engaged. <laughs> <laughs> So this is why we're friends. <laughs> this is how half our conversations go. Anyway. Oh, that was a good one. Um, when you got engaged, um, <laughs> Alan, Jeanette and I decided to surprise you and Nick at the airport. And ironically, I had a foot costume. And for some reason, we thought it'd be funny to dress up in costumes and surprise you at the airport and completely embarrass you. It was the best, but it was so embarrassing. So, we, yeah. So I wore a foot costume to the airport and stood there for like an hour and a half. And then... For some reason, I became obsessed with this foot costume and I like rode my bike in the foot costume, <laughs> like turned up to random things in a foot costume and kept taking photos of it. And then I just became Ange Foot. 
<laughs> so my last name is not Foot, although I did get email. My, my sister Catherine got mail to our house once that said Catherine Foot. <laughs> <laughs> and your surname is Roan, which is Roan. not a very Vietnamese name. No. And it actually started as Duon. <laughs> so tell us yes. about that. Yeah, so mum and dad are fully Vietnamese. They both escaped the war. They are textbook boat people. And dad's surname originally was actually Duan. And D-O-A-N is actually a very Vietnamese surname. But ages ago, my grandpa got in an argument with the family and he was threatening them that he changed his name. And they didn't think he was serious. And then he went and changed his name and then changed the D to an R. And so now we're Roan, which is like has no cultural background whatsoever. And then dad gave us all English first names so that we could get jobs. For how? Yeah. So it's <laughs> Catherine, Jennifer, Nicholas and Ang. Yeah. <laughs> so four siblings. Mm-hmm. Tell us about young Ange. Did you know what you wanted to be? You had, there were four of you in the house, but you also had your grandmother, stories of Benoi and a big Vietnamese family. So lots of cousins. You still have cousins night. So what was growing up yeah. as young Ange like? It was a very busy household because we had not only all us kids, and my grandma and my mum and dad but we always our house I always think of it like a hostel the door is always open and there's always someone living with us so we had my uncle and my godmother who lived with us and so the house was like a minimum of eight to ten people at all times so it was a very hectic household but it was fun it was really really fun yeah we just hung out heaps we played a lot in the backyard I was very much a tomboy still very much am played all the sports under the sun but only played the sports that I could in school because we actually weren't allowed to play school outside because my parents are very um or were very like tiger parents in terms of being very academic so whatever sport we did play we just played in school which meant that I just played all the sports that I could and take it to take advantage of what school had to offer but Catherine, my oldest sister, was pivotal in our upbringing. She's one of the best sisters ever in that she brought us all up to allow us the freedom that she didn't get. So we got to play sport a lot earlier than she ever got to play sport outside of school because she pushed it. So if my parents didn't let us, which they didn't, she brought it upon herself to then take us to trainings. You know, when I was in year seven, I didn't get to go to my first sleepover until year eight and I just thought that was normal because that was just how like Jennifer didn't either and so we were just like oh yeah okay but looking back it definitely wasn't that normal but yeah we just didn't think anything of it so we didn't feel deprived at all either we just it's just how we were brought up and Catherine's 30 this year so she's eight years older than I am so yeah when she got when she could drive she could take us heaps of places so yeah she was pretty big in our upbringing. So Catherine is actually how I know Ange. I met Ange when she was six because Catherine and I went to school together, which is the same school that Ange ended up going to, McRobb, selective entry, uh, very academic Asian school. (laughs) 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 But yeah, Catherine and I uh, had so much fun. She's actually one of the people I I credit for keeping my mind open when I was going down a much more conservative pathway and she has absolutely passed that on to you and it was so funny seeing, you know, young, tiny little Ange run around and then so many years later to have you come back into our life as a full-blown adventurer that just has such a thirst for learning and new things and definitely something that I think she passed on really well. Yeah, no, she's definitely a, a free spirit and I 100% am very free in my spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned your parents being, you know, the definition of boat people. Mm. 
and your grandmother, uh, who Benoit in Vietnamese means the paternal grandmother, yep. but we just call her Benoit and yep. her and I don't have a common language, but somehow we have this really beautiful relationship where oh we God. just hug each other and smile. <laughs> She's like the daughter. I'm like the granddaughter She's that like- she never had. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so she has an incredible story. So before we move on to um, how you went from your beautiful childhood to the incredible things that you've done since then, I know that your family and their heritage has had a really big influence probably on how much you appreciate the opportunities you have today. So tell us about Benoit's story and your parents' story of coming here. So mum and dad escaped the war completely separately but very much the same story. I think everyone, most parents or most people that escaped the war and the Vietnam War back in the 70s had a very similar escape story in that, you know, they had to hide in a very small fishing boat and squeeze as many people as they could, um, you know, in the middle of the night. And you had to be well connected to organise an escape boat because there was a lot of risk involved. You know, you needed a trusted captain to actually get you somewhere or anywhere. If you got caught, then pretty much everyone would die. That's essentially how it worked. So Benoit had organised one for my dad and her two other kids, so my uncle and my auntie. I think only my dad went on this one or maybe my dad and my uncle and my auntie went with her husband. And yeah, they, you know, had to creep around middle of the night, get on a boat. It was pretty intense. Mum was saying that they'd get on the boat and if you had a kid or a baby and the baby cried, there was two options, was to not get on the boat or to throw the baby off because the baby would then risk the whole boat being caught Mm. and you know they do this in the middle of the night and then they're just set up set out on the boat and then hopefully arrive somewhere that would take them and I think mum said that she was out for two months and every now and then they'd just stop at a marina or a a bay somewhere and just get quick stocks of food or whatever and then continue on to the just until I think they got to Malaysia I think that's where they first um, found refuge but mum was saying mum has these crazy horror stories and I always forget that that's their background because they never talk about it not because they don't want to not because it's like sad just because they don't want it to define them and then they've never used it as an excuse for us Mm -hmm. in terms of you know if we ever did something really bad or rude to them they never really used it for us to feel Guilty for Guilty. what, you, what yeah. they did to yeah. give you the so, opportunities, yeah. Yeah, they never, ever used it. They only talk about it when I ask and they love talking about it. Mm. It's really insane. Just a time that we can't even imagine yeah, and the circumstances. Only, but it was only like 30 years ago. Yeah. Like it was not that long ago. It's like this is my mum. It's mm. not like it's my ancestors. It's, mm. it's my mum. Yeah, she said she was very lucky with her boat that, that her captain, they had really good rations of food and they, he you know, stocked up really well and they got there. But she was saying there was like 150 people on this little fishing boat. They had to lie on top of each other, flat, so they wouldn't be seen. And Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then um, they arrived in Perth and then sponsored my grandma over. And my grandma, in that time, through their whole refugee camp situation, had like been imprisoned. Benoit got imprisoned for two years because someone dobbed her in for organising a boat and then, you know, she had to burn all of the documents that she had and all the letters that she had from her children. And by this time, my grandpa had died, so it was only Benoit in Vietnam. And I asked her, I was like, weren't, weren't you sad when you had to, like, say bye to your parents and, I mean, your kids? She was like, no, as a mother, all I lived for was them and for me to let them go was a risk that I had to take because it could give them a better life and that was better than anything I could give them. Mm. And so, yeah, she said bye and then had to just wait for a letter. 
Oh, my gosh. And she didn't know if it was ever going to arrive. She just had to wait. And she didn't get it for, like, two months. That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah, so in that time she got imprisoned, lost all. She had complete disuse atrophy of her legs, so all her muscles deteriorated, couldn't walk, had to drag herself with her arms. And then it randomly just got let out two years later and kind of, like, learned how to walk from zero, like a baby. She crawled, then used a table, then walked. And now she is like, oh, my God, you have to follow on Instagram. Everyone if, follows stories if I'm gonna, underscore of underscore Oh, Benoit. my God, if I'm going to plug anything, it's going to be Benoit. She is the funniest person. She'll, like, I'll wake up and she's got this cat backwards. She's in the backyard and she's got her electric saw, like, <laughs> sawing down this tree because it's just in her way. She's so funny. She's, she's like, the strongest person. She's such a beautiful person. spirit. Yeah. I love her. Her little chuckle and she loves playing spider solitaire. She loves her spider solitaire. She, she takes herself to the casino. No. Oh, it doesn't speak a drop of English except for... I reckon she understands it, though. I think she Sometimes she laughs at our, like, conversations. Yeah. You know what we're saying. I know. And she loves Sarah. Like, <laughs> like, oh, the minute I'm doing something bad, I'll be like, yeah, but Sarah does it too. And she'll be like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> but to know that she has that story in her consciousness and that you have been told these things firsthand from within your family is just astounding yeah and so interesting and I, we're Andrew and I have spoken many times about the fact that she will eventually write a memoir of Benoit's stories and it will be an incredible read I think yeah I'd love to. to translate it yeah I'd love to be able to because she's got like every day she's got another story and I always question her memory in terms of if the if it's actually factual or she's kind of just like filled in a lot of spots. But she's very <laughs> con- the yeah, she- <laughs> She's very consistent. Like she I just discovered the other week that she thought her mum died for forty years and had a funeral for her mum and then found in the newspaper someone looking for her and then forty years later realised she was still alive. Oh my gosh. And then went over to find her after having a whole funeral for her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's she's crazy. just Yeah, she's freaking awesome. So it's clear then why you have such a strong family unit and such strong family values and that there's always a million people in the Roan house, which is <laughs> such a lovely thing to grow up with and to have so many cousins that you still stay so close to because I think that does a lot of kids do grow up lonely because they don't have siblings around the house and you know they don't grow up in the village of of people yeah we didn't have a choice but to be open-minded to be honest yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what did you think you wanted to be what you know knowing that kind of the world was your oyster and having not being the older sibling as well who was kind of like your parents first experience of parenthood it's always like a very different thing when you're you know you were the third sibling you had two sisters who had gone to the same school as you yeah and are very different to you as well so what did you think you wanted to be and what was your school life like and yeah where did you think that you were headed okay well I'm a low-key nerd yes like I loved (laughs) (laughs) I loved school with a passion like oh I wish I still was at high school, to be honest. It was like last year, dude. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It was yesterday. Um, But, you know, I loved school. I love learning. I'm a science kid at heart, but, you know, I did everything. Like, I played every sport under the sun. Again, partly because I just wasn't – we weren't allowed to really pursue sport that much unless we were going to prove to my parents that we were going to be, like, you know, the next Lena – or whoever. Some Asian superstar. Yeah, yeah, some like real, to all yeah, the nation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then they didn't really see the benefits of it. So we, I just played like every sport under the sun. 
and music was huge in our family as well. And so, you know, taught, but I actually had to end up teach, we had to teach ourselves a lot of the skills, had to teach myself guitar. I somehow convinced my parents that I was going to play trumpet. So I played trumpet. I was the worst at trumpet. I think the whole school knew it because I was just such a like jock. They were just like, you know when you get a participation ribbon? Yeah. I think I would have just gotten a lot of them to music. So music was really, really fun. Like I loved it. It was a really nice outlet. So yeah, school was awesome. I loved every aspect of it. I think one of the really hard things though for people who do – you know, pursue a lot of different interests like music and sport and academics. It's mm. really hard to know then where you, what eggs to put your basket in for uni. So how did you make that decision? Yeah, I have this big kind of like internal life motto where I only do things that I love. And it's... Which is like a, an incredibly fortunate position to be in where you live in a time where you're actually able to make those choices, which is good. Yeah, 100%. Like I'm super grateful for everything that I've been able to do for sure. I've never ever really felt limited. When I was young, I thought that my parents were really limiting in what I could do, but really they weren't. Like I, they were just very protective and mm. disciplined and they wanted a really good future for me, which I now understand. But back then I obviously didn't. Yeah. Um, but that's just being a teenager. But yeah, I've, you know, I only do things that I want to do and I only do things that I love. So when people ask me why I did it, there's, it's a very simple answer. It's because I wanted to. So yeah, always been a science brain. Physio was just a kind of the best marriage between everything that I loved in terms of sports, sports and yeah, but also crazy science. Mm. You know, biology and P were and English language. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, even though it sounds like I can't speak to save my life, were my top three subjects, and I somehow got the score to get into physio. My life has been written pretty, pretty well so far. In that, what I've wanted to do, I've been able to do. I haven't had huge like I have to choose this and then find a pathway it kind of just has laid out very very nicely yeah I also think you've kind of directed it that way though like you're a very measured decided person and one thing about Ange that is very interesting and I think almost all of us could take a really good leaf out of this this book is that because Ange's primary mode of transport is her bicycle (laughs) (laughs) it means that at the start of each day and the end of each day, there's a big period of reflection yeah. on where you want to go that day, like metaphorically and physically. Mm. And at the end of the day, what you've learnt, what was good and what was bad. Yeah. So these are called Angela's bike reflections. <laughs> and I think that's probably you've had such a great journey so far because you do take a lot of time to reflect on where you're going. You take stock before anything's gotten too far out of control, like yeah. out of hand. Yeah. I do a lot of reflection, more so because it means that I never – and we were talking about this the other week and when I was asking you about what you think about the societal um, belief that you have to be able to, f- you have to be feeling something when you turn 30, like it has to be some sort of crisis. Because I reflect so much and, you know, actively do it, I never have those like tw- like 18-year-old crises where I'm like, oh, I should have, I should be here by now because I've already reflected on that. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I sit well with it. I accept where I am. And the next thing is just the next day rather than, you know, the next decade or the last decade. It's just every day is done and I've accepted what's happened on that day. And then I move on to the next. And then I have my reflections again every morning and every night. And so I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think I'll ever get to that age where it's like 30 and I'm like, oh, wait, when, I th- when I'm 30, I wanted to do this or yeah. wait in the whole last decade, I wasted my time because I didn't do this. Because I have every day, I'm like, oh, wait, okay, so I didn't do this today, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I think that's kind of one of the biggest learnings that I've realised by being around you is that 
that intense power of checking in with yourself. Mm. Like you make time for it in a way that belies your age, that has allowed your revelations like way beyond your years because you do it every day. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people do spend their whole 20s not doing that yeah. and then at 30 it catches 29 and a half you know it catches up on them because they're like whoa I haven't I didn't realize this was all happening whereas you spend each day actually getting comfortable with everything that's yeah. happened and then like choosing for the next day to be a clean slate as well for yeah you to, to try again yeah the reflections they're not always what's happened but they a lot of it's actually visualization is what is to come mm. so if I for example when I was at in high school, like I actually didn't quantify how much I reflected until like maybe the other week when I was like, wait, there's a lot of like time reflecting. And I visualized me opening my letter, being like, well, gone to physio, accepting it. Like every step of that process, I can, I probably would have visualized at least a hundred times before it actually happened. Mm. But at the same time, it's weird because I set, I also set my standards very low so that I'm, I'm never really disappointed with how I go. And it sounds kind of like, I know it's weird because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get it. I know I'm going to get it because I've visualized a hundred billion times, but I'm also like, cool if I don't get it. Yeah. I think that the reflection is kind of getting comfortable with all the scenarios. Yeah, Like you've at least run through every possible outcome before it's Mm. hit you. So you've emotionally processed things like before it's happened. Yes, yes, yes. So (laughs) I've, I've, because I've visualized it so many times, I've visualized also plan B, C, D, E, F, and I'm have accepted every single other plan that has that could possibly be. Yeah. So I think that's why I'm just like pretty okay with pretty any, chill anything with any that can happen. Yeah, any yeah. outcome that happens, I'm like cool prepared for that. Which is one thing I really want to come back to in NATA because I think that that preparedness for any situation is what kind of helps combat things like self-doubt or, or crisis of confidence. Yeah. But just finishing off on your way, TA, talking about before, you know, you'll never get to 30 and think and look back and think you didn't make the most of your mm. 20s. You're two years in, <laughs> so like literally 20% <laughs> of the way in and have already done more than most people have done by 30. So. Tell us how the process went. You know, most people work really hard. If they're lucky, they'll do some extracurricular activities and some get some life experience in a job and then they'll get into their career and then they'll be at uni and they'll be a uni student. But for you, nothing has ever been that one-dimensional. Nah. And every year, Ange has like one big goal for each yep. year of, of learning and then yep. lots of little goals along the way. Mm-hmm. But since I've known you at least, you've done an 800-kilometre ride from Adelaide to Melbourne that wasn't an organised one that she just joined. It was fully solo, fully organised by Anne and raised $21,000 on her 21st birthday, which she just actually mentioned is $22,000 for stand-up events, um, which Ange can tell you a little bit more about. She has also literally done her first foray into boxing and won by a technical (sighs) knockout in her second round because she did 10 weeks of training and literally just knocked it out of the park and now is basically pro. She just got listed in the VFLW with North Melbourne and has built and sold her own business, is mentoring. There is just so many different amazing things in between that as well that you've been doing. And one of the things that most people would be curious about, apart from just logistically time management, but how do you get these ideas? How are you motivated to do them? How do you get started and combat the fear that it might not work or what drives you to do them do you get exhausted you know all of those questions bundling it into just how have you done that you're 22 talk us through it okay it very much isn't that amazing I think I'm I'm like I don't I actually don't do not put myself on any kind of pedestal I don't think I've done anything incredible all I've done is live the absolute best life that I could live with what resources that I have and I'm very lucky that one of the resources is my brain 
and it goes about 600 kilometers per hour. <laughs> like it just how we get along. It's, it's inside <laughs> of the membrane. That was such a good pun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just also thinking about we've been doing, you know, the running challenge with Nike and and just been palpating and doing all these physio science things and explaining to me all about the membranes and the tissues and ligaments and all the stuff. So I'm like, oh, triple pun. <laughs> <laughs> and also on top of that, you also work basically full time in all three of our businesses or four of our businesses and are also a friend, a sister, a daughter, like a granddaughter, all the other things. So, yeah, how do you fit it all in? And what drives you to do this stuff? Like for most people, I think because you don't put yourself on a pedestal, it's even more confusing for people because a lot of people do things, even subconsciously, for recognition or for achievement or for some sort of sense of external fulfilment, whereas I think you're very internally motivated. Yeah, I think I'm um, internally driven and impact driven. Like This is very much just thinking on the spot. This is just me. Uh-oh. Like brain fart. And without a filter. <laughs> <laughs> is I think I have like, first of all, you know already, I have a really weird, like it sounds really morbid, but I don't actually fear death. Like I don't, I could die tomorrow and be so happy with it purely because in my eyes, a lot of people fear death because they haven't lived the life that they want to live mm. or there are things on their checklist that they still want to do. And because of that, if say they died tomorrow, tragically, they're like, oh crap, I didn't get to do this, I didn't get to do that, I feel so unfulfilled. Whereas because I do everything I want to do and do everything that I love, then there's nothing that I still want to do because I just do it, yeah. I just make it happen. And so that is one big driving factor. Like if there's anything that I love and I feel a really great urge to do, I just do it. And because it's internally driven, it doesn't matter so much. I just do it. Like I'm not doing it to please anyone. I'm not doing it because someone has told me to do it. Um, which is when you get into the sticky situation of like the drive is a bit different, the motivation is a bit different. Yeah, so I just like I don't have a huge fear of failing either. Obviously, if I care if I fail, but it's not a hindrance to anything that I do. So I just do it. And because in my eyes, everything that I do is a learning experience. There's so much to learn that I don't know about. And I love learning so much that uh, that overrides any other kind of fear of failing or looking bad or looking like a failure. I don't think people really care about failing. I think people care about looking like a failure. Mm. Um, I think it's a very societal thing, the whole failure thing. I don't think, I think most people know that it's inevitable to fail once or a hundred times mm. because it just it just happens. You can't succeed at everything. But yeah, I think the whole looking like a failure is what people are afraid of. And I don't really have that kind of fear purely because I've grown up setting my standards real low. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with whatever. Like I could make $10 and be like, huge success, Ange. Huge success. Well done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so because it's an internal drive and I don't have all kind of input from a lot of like society and other people, then and because a lot of it is purposeful, like a lot of the stuff that I do or want to do has I want to make some sort of impact, then it's all very much just passion and that I feel like is endless. What would you say have been some of the real highlights or pivotal moments of learning or reflection in all of those incredible things? As in what benefits I find in reflection? Is that what you mean? Or just more things that stand out for you looking back at at all of those different experiences. They're so different and 
I would imagine, transformative in different ways. Yeah, totally. And in such a short amount of time as well. Yeah. When I was 17, I backpacked the US with Jen. It was awesome. When I was 18, I backpacked the world on my own. I went for five months and that was one of the most, just the best time ever. I think I had all the revelations there. I had so many ideas come from that trip, but I also realized I could literally just do anything. I probably felt the most invincible I've ever felt. And since then, I just do everything that I want to do and trust. The thing I think the reason why I'm able to do what I do is because I know my capacity Mm. and I know what I can and can't do. Like I know my capabilities. I know where to push the boundaries and how far I can push it before I probably it's a bit too dangerous to even try. And I know that I need to be challenged. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of know how far I can push it. So I kind of just reach it. Those two were awesome. So traveling is a big part of me. And then... Paper planes was huge. That was so, Angela's business? Yeah. So I started my first business, which was a food truck at the age of 19. That was, yeah, huge in my whole life career um, <laughs> of being a 22. <laughs> in all my years of being 22. <laughs> yeah, paper planes was huge. So because coming from a science background, I didn't know anything about business. The only thing I'd done is accounting, if anything, in year 12 that's really all I'd done that that was even close to business. Catherine, my sister that we went we went into it together, also has a science background and a teaching background. We had I'd never worked in hospitality either. I'd always been in retail and for some reason I thought it's it was the best. And from that I gathered, I sat down and calculated on my bike in my reflection that the best possible idea or business idea would be to start a food truck. <laughs> so and the problem is you needed to buy a food truck. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> which you built from scratch. <laughs> yeah. So, custom designed a food truck made by my friend's dad. And this was, again, was like the ho- every single aspect of this was a learning experience in that I didn't even know how to start. And when I mean start, I mean figuring out where to start. Do you start with a business name? Do you, like, for the business name, do you need some sort of like ABN? Like, I didn't <laughs> know what ABN was. You know, after that, where do you go next? Do you like, do you need lawyers? I thought we needed a lawyer. I don't know why we needed a lawyer, but I just thought we needed a lawyer. I thought we needed a tax person. I thought we needed all these people when really all we needed was literally a business name at an ABN and that was it, an idea and people behind it. So, yeah, designed the food truck because obviously um, – so my, my friend's dad builds caravans, not food trailers, had no idea how to what was needed, neither did I, but he didn't want the responsibility of – having to design it design it just in case he missed things in terms of health and safety. So here I was like Googling, going to business workshops, being like this little 19-year-old where people just thought I was just having a bit of a, you know, joke around or something. They thought I was probably just going to sell bracelets on Instagram or something. Which, <laughs> no, like there is nothing wrong with selling bracelets on Instagram, but I think that's what they thought my path was going. Yeah, so I fully had to design the whole food truck on my own, every single spec so that went from how long how wide to specific materials needed for the floor for the ceiling for the windows how many windows how many sinks what types of sinks you know material of the bench top what kind of bench top how long the bench top how high how like it was just there was so much in it that I didn't realize and then on top of that there was actually building the business which people forget about so even something as simple as a logo a menu I didn't even know how to start pricing a menu I didn't even have a recipe I didn't have like it literally was like everything you could think of if you had to break it all down it was we had I just had to figure out and that was huge but the main driver for that was we started to get young people into entrepreneurship 
and have to preface that with I don't like calling myself an entrepreneur because I don't believe that I am and I'm not a huge fan of the word entrepreneurship either because I feel like to be an entrepreneur the connotation is that you are some prodigy and you are incredible and you are out of this mind Steve Jobs kind of brain and you are so far beyond the average person that you're an entrepreneur and in my brain that was always what an entrepreneur was it was someone that was just out of this world clever and Which I'm I definitely think a not a lot of that. people would argue that you are, but whatever. No, I definitely don't, I don't think I am. But at the same time, it's the only word right now because it's such a novel yeah. concept that's the only word to describe someone. So, yeah, I just really, really am passionate about young people and the skills that they have to contribute to the world. And I'm such a believer that young people can change the world if they're given the chance to. And I realised being a young person that there's a big stigma around us that we're not capable of that Mm. purely because we're apparently you know we're hooligans we're just like we just like to party we just like to drink we don't have experience we don't have the money we don't have the knowledge we don't really know what we're doing because we've just maybe still in high school or fresh out of high school or you know still can't get through uni but Mm. I know people my age who are just so talented in so many ways if you know, as singers or as artists, like my sister's, one of her friends was doing physio, but is an incredible artist. In second year uni, he decided that um, he wasn't going to do any more and pursue his art career and has now a million followers on Instagram. Wow. And he just draws and he like, follow him. You can put in your show notes later. It's um, Kellogg's Loops. But when you see his profile, you'll lose your mind. But he's a 20-something-year-old. And he didn't really have – he's just, I think, one of those people that believes in himself. There's lots of people that don't. Mm. And if you don't believe in yourself and the world doesn't believe in you, what chance do you really have to put your mark into the world, especially if you've got something to give? Absolutely, which is why I think it's so amazing that everything you do is – we were talking about love languages recently. (laughs) And – one of her love languages is affirmations, but I think one of the things that you're best at is inspiring people by doing, like by doing exactly that, by trying everything, by giving everything a red hot crack and then by showing people by example and sh- and even for people who are much older than you to look at you and be inspired by the fact that you're just willing to give everything a go. It just happens that you're quite spectacular at most of those things, <laughs> but you don't know that when you start, you know, you're not afraid to kind of just give it a go and see what happens. And I think also young people at your age often get really bogged down in the fact that every decision they make is forever. Mm. Whereas you're quite happy to open a chapter, learn from it and then close it. Yeah, totally. That's the, I think a misconception as well. Mm. And that's probably another hindrance to why young people don't go out and pursue things. Honestly speaking, I think seeing you, I actually ran out this idea through you the first time I ever met you. I was fangirling. <laughs> That's true. Oh my God, it was so embarrassing. I was fangirling so hard. And Ange doesn't fangirl. I do not fangirl. I just like, <laughs> you, you'll never let me forget that though. Never. Like I full fangirled Sarah and because I had found Match and Maiden ages ago and didn't care too much of the product, but cared a lot about the entrepreneurial journey that it you know, that the startup had. And I was like, whoever owns this little business <laughs> is freaking genius because, you know, there was a line of matcha that always stood out because their marketing was so strong. It wasn't ceremonial grade and it wasn't like the most expensive 
But man, it always stood out. And I remember I was in Budapest when I was like in my little five month trip when I was eighteen, and you were in Budapest. Yeah. And I, lost... I mean, I wasn't, but match yeah. <laughs> I lost my mind, and so I was like, whoever owns this is freaking incredible. But yeah, I ran it past you. Like, this was one of the pivotal moments, which I had. I don't think I've ever really told you. I really have really told anyone. But exclusive um, content. I know. Is this a first world first exclusive? I know. Get around it. Sixty minutes. <laughs> Daily Mail. A current affair. <laughs> you, I said, oh, I really want to do this rice paper roll business where it's like <laughs> really creative rice paper rolls and we do it in a food truck and it's all wacky flavours, but it's derived from my upbringing being Vietnamese and how we rolled rice paper rolls as a family and how much it brought us together. And for us, it's so normal, but to the average white person, it's so <laughs> cool. It's like this coolest thing ever. And I was like, yeah, and we'll have this flavor where there's like peanut butter and banana and black rice. And then we'll have this flavor where, you know, we call it magic mushrooms, but secretly it isn't. But secretly it is. (laughs) (laughs) And you. Someone asked how Andrew's so happy all the time. (laughs) Mushrooms. (laughs) No, I'm just a fun guy. (laughs) There's not much room for sadness. Let's move on. But yeah, so you simply just saying that is awesome was enough for me to be like, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah. But because you could have easily have been, oh, like, <laughs> mm, not sure. Like, mm, do you think you can really do that? Like, you're only 19. Do you really think you can do that? No. But, I, that, but, that, but that's what I mean. Like, yeah. for you, I was just super lucky that in the time, right time and space that I'd met you and you were so open and encouraging and supportive of this kind of venture Aww. that I was able to do it. But I made me realize that not everyone has that. Yeah, totally. most people. I'm just going to throw a random stat. Don't even don't <laughs> don't quote me on this. I would say maybe eighty percent of people. <laughs> what is that based on? Well, in my family, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of you and me, <laughs> of you and me, only eighty <laughs> percent. Well, people don't have that kind of support. support. Yeah, and not even as immediate support. Even like their friends would yeah. probably be like, ooh laugh at them mm. or be like oh she thinks she's all that that she can do that mm. or you know even acquaintances it, it's, it's really weird because people just don't seem to get around their friends as Each much other. as they should yeah. i don't know if it's a um it's an alpha thing of a, a power control mm. or just the fact that they actually purely believe that the person can't do it because society has shaped mm. it to be that way um but yeah we i started paper planes ended up being a huge push against that and trying to shift the societal view of young people not like pre like in a preachy activist kind of way it was purely just a platform yeah just young people but also just as like if we were to do it and hopefully someone else sees it Mm. and just indirectly then is influenced yeah so yeah we just put ourselves out there and did it so that hopefully some people would look at us and be like oh my god it's possible and we decided to do it in a big grand way rather than you know start a blog where Blogs are awesome. Yeah, but, but you wanted to make more of a physical impact. Mm, and because the bigger we went, the smaller their venture felt and the more feasible to them it felt. Yeah. So if we just started a blog, they're like, okay, cool, but I want to start like a full business. Yeah. But because we went all out and we just did food truck, they were like anything anything else just seemed so easily done to mm. them. And so, yeah, that drove us for a whole, quite literally, <laughs> for um, – like two whole years and I only sold it about a month ago. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And in the meantime? 
Oh, yeah. So in the meantime... Goodwill hunting? Goodwill hunting was huge. That was a self-organised campaign where I rode from Adelaide to Melbourne to raise money for a group called Stand Up Events who work to eradicate homophobia and homophobic language and just overall homophobic behaviour in sport. I'm not only huge in homophobia, but just as cliche as it sounds, equality. I just feel like no one should be judged mm-hmm. or discriminated against for any reason whatsoever. And homophobia is really big and like really... Still more ingrained than you would expect. Yeah, especially in sport, in, a, in, a, in an industry that I love. And Angie Green's doing an incredible job with them. And I just put my hat up and said, you know what, let me raise as much money as I can because she said she needed 100000 and I love cycling. So, yeah, I just put my hand up to do it and... In, because I'm so impulsive. I said it one day, the next day, all of a sudden I had like created an <laughs> Instagram page. On your, on your I hands. was like, yeah, <laughs> I like it, nothing's official, official until you start an Instagram page. And then I was like, no, <laughs> it's done. I'm doing it. And yeah, it went from me just simply riding across it, and I thought I was going to maybe raise $2,000, ended up raising $22,000 and it ended up being a much bigger campaign than I thought it was going to be. And there was a lot of learning in that as well in terms of how to approach media and how to get people being a little bit open bit more open minded mm. raising awareness in the least preachy activist ways possible yeah everything i do is as much i do as indirect as i can so mm. i just do it i'll live my life but i would hope to make impact through example rather mm. than you're like be the lighthouse not the light no yeah, whatever that lighthouse thing is. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that strikes me often is that because you have had so many different endeavours and different skill sets across different industries, which is absolutely extraordinary, that it's difficult then to discern where it's all going. And unlike a lot of people, you've had all these extracurricular, you know, endeavors not because you don't like physio and not because you're bored in your main endeavor you actually love physio you go sick for it so what do you think this is all leading you to do you have any concept because I'm going to totally do this episode when you turn 30 (laughs) and compare because I'm so interested you know what do you think that it's all leading to because you're quite unusual in that you're the first guest on the show who I'm catching at the start of the story, not halfway yeah, through. Yeah, true. Okay. So what do you think it's all leading for? Do you have a vision or are you going to keep exploring something different each year and just see where you end up? Like, where you know, where do you think that it will lead you to? And well, how do you make decisions about the next step? Yeah. Okay, well, just backtracking a little bit. Throughout all that time, I was obviously studying physio through all the travels. So I've hit 22 countries in 22 years. It's pretty amazing. Pretty much all of them solo because I just love solo backpacking. And through that as well. So uni, I had paper planes over those two years as well. Plus did goodwill hunting while still having paper planes and travelled but actually worked four different jobs all at the same time. And a lot of people asked. A lot of the time people do a lot of things but without purpose. They just do it because for the sake of doing it or I don't know, they don't like sitting with themselves, they need distractions. But... I really did everything that I did. I'm quite purposeful with what I do. Mm. And so everything that I do has a reason behind it, mm. if not a long-term reason, like setting myself up for a career, which what is what physio does, then it is a short-term purpose, which is to learn a new skill. Yeah. And I love learning so much, but not any new skill, a skill that I think that will benefit me in the future. And, you know, I'm currently doing f- freelance work now, which has been awesome because... Never thought I'd be like 
call myself a freelancer in the creative space. <laughs> but I've, I've been able to do that purely through working all those jobs because within each job I learned something. So in retail, I made all these connections. You know, the person that built the food truck was the visual merchandiser of the brand that I worked for. And, you know, working for you guys, I've learned all the creative stuff. So how to run a business without having to own the business and how to run an established business where, because, you know, Paper Planes was quite young and, you know, never saw 10 years of business. It was just always really young. And then physio, I'm able to kind of apply myself academically, which I really like. I like really stimulating my brain. And then, you know, like everything has its purpose and that's leading to something that honestly, I've got no idea. I think that's the best answer though. I 100% see myself in physio, but I also 100% see myself working for myself or constantly creating. Mm. If it's not in like the creative sphere, then... Creating for something. Yes. Or I'd love to have my own clinic one day, but at the same time, I would love to be an academic for the rest of my life and be like a professor. But although no one would take me seriously at all because I'll like get all serious and say one of my weird metaphors that don't make sense. But yeah, nothing, I don't, I also don't like setting myself up for a specific path Mm. because I don't want to have to limit myself to that that path. And I feel that's where a lot of people get dissatisfaction in life Mm. because they've written this path for themselves. And then they adhere to those expectations. Yeah, and yeah. if they don't follow that path, though, then they're like, oh, no, mm. I'm having a midlife crisis because I'm not nearly where my path says I should be. Yeah. But that's because they've written this path for them that's very strict. And so any deviation for me is awesome. Like, well, I love it. Well, I think you're such an incredible example of the fact that it in this day and age, you can't expect to know what you're going to be doing in five years' time, ten years' time, and that that's a good thing. Like, you're completely open-minded to enjoying the full benefits of that climate whereas I think a lot of people still are a little bit more conservative or risk averse but you're a very inspiring example of the fact that you don't have to do that now like you can actually go out and be unsure where you're gonna end even if I don't know what I'm gonna end up but it's great that you don't yeah but I think the other thing is which leads really nicely into the next section called NATA is that that uncertainty can lead to doubt or fear or in the opposite situation even if you are certain that you're not going to be certain about what you're going to do, mm, yeah, that, yeah. that you get the re- reverse, that yeah. you get that pressure then to do something grand because you've kind of hit these heights at such a young age. You know, you've got eight years left of your 20s that you've already surpassed what most people do. So it's sort of like, well, what's next? There's all this expectation of like, and is, what is her next big thing that you're going to do? Yeah. So so leading into NATA, I don't imagine productivity pressure is such a big thing for you because I think you're quite good at setting up you know, boundaries for what people expect of you and what you expect of yourself. And motivation is probably also not a problem. In the reverse, it's how do you not burn out with all of that stuff going on? And I know you have low expectations in in one sense, but at the at the same time, you're also a nerd who expects, <laughs> expects to be, you know, an A-type that expects to have a base level of skill at things and you will never submit something to anyone that's bad quality. No. So no. yeah, how do you manage all that? Yeah, so in terms of burnout, I definitely do burnout. If, if there's ever a day where for 24 hours you don't see an Instagram stories, I've probably burnt out. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, I never used to. I always tell Sarah that I can physically go 
forever. Like at the start of this year, I ran every day for 100 days for a minimum of 20 minutes. And I hate running, and I, but I did it because another thing, it was just an internal thing where I hated the reason. I hated the fact that I hated something because I wasn't good at it. Mm. So I was like, well, that's stupid. So why don't you just try to become good at it and remove that hate for something? Because I just don't like not liking things. I just think it's a very negative energy to have within yourself. I didn't really ever burn out through that. Mm. Like, you know, I did the whole bike ride and all the training and all that stuff for Goodwill Hunting and came back and rode 40 kilometres the next day. Physically was fine, but give me too much mentally Mm. and I'll crash like straight away. (laughs) Oh, because I'm such a thinker, which I think most people are, and there's so much going on. I'm very, like you said, A-type. Like I always want to give people the best that I can give, if not in terms of like assignments and work, Mm. but like my time and my energy and being there with them when I can be, that exhausts me like no tomorrow. Like I like I never used to nap, mm. ever. <laughs> I've, taught, I've made you into a napper. Oh, I'm such a napper now. I, <laughs> but I actually, not because I, I need a nap, I, I just crash. Like I just yeah. actually crash. And you know these times I have, when I crash, when I get really tired, I value sleep a lot and I need a lot of sleep. But if I don't get it, mm. I go into a just black hole of we call it the black hole of death yeah we call it the black (laughs) hole of death so let's move to the black hole of death the black hole of death (laughs) is pretty much when I get really really tired I go through like a process of very consistent symptoms and they normally consist of indecisiveness Mm -hmm. by the way I'm very analytical and psychoanalytical especially of myself so Mm -hmm. I actually know myself very well yeah alarmingly self-aware yeah so I know probably every process of how my brain works and I break it down. And that's what a lot of the time on the bike is like. Mm. It's just me thinking thinking about you thinking about me thinking (laughs) and like being like, okay, this is why you, this is why you think this. And so, yeah, one of the processes is indecisiveness. Mm -hmm. Obviously tiredness is the overriding one. Anxiety comes next. Mm -hmm. Anxiety in that I'm like kind of really irritable and everything gets me on edge. Mm -hmm. From there, I tend to go quite quiet. Which is like the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. Like (laughs) I will either, like literally when I get home, because home is this place where I'm like a completely different person because I just, because your family will always love you unconditionally. I just like use that, like take advantage of it or I'll come home and literally become mute. Like someone will say (laughs) and put the dishes away and I'll be like, bam. (laughs) but I think that's why one of the reasons why it's so important to talk about it is literally the most resounding question I get about you is because you are such a pleasure to be around and such a positive impact on all of us who are around you in terms of like lightheartedness free-spiritedness open-mindedness and joy in the simple things you know the question is how do you stay happy all the time and I think it's important to acknowledge that no one does like yeah no you have black hole of death days admittedly they're rarer than most people and day to day you are a lot happier than the average person Mm. about life and I think because you give yourself such a wide scope for reflection 
But at the same time, you do have days where you get anxious and it's a side effect of such an active brain that allows you to do all the positive things. It also brings with it the negative over-reflection when you're tired. Mm. And it also reminds me how much sleep is so important and rest. Yeah. You brought to my attention how important rest was. Because I'm nap queen. Because <laughs> she's vlogatron. Because I'm vlogatron. That's what I call her when she's a vlog. <laughs> when she's a bit airy-fairy. And she goes black hole of death. I go vlog. Right? I just, like, can't do anything. I can't, like anything like yeah. I literally can't drive I just get really flaky and I know it <laughs> I know it because Sarah will call me and be like Ange should I wear my green sock or my blue sock <laughs> and if she because she can't make that simple decision I'm like yep she's in Flogatron. <laughs> but yeah like I'll go how do you get yourself out of that mm, so I've again have a process because like you have I, a said, process for I know one I have a process for everything and two I know myself so well but I will actively withdraw myself from people normally and mm-hmm. become actually a hermit so you sarah and i text pretty much every day but i will actively just not reach out to you and i become very quiet and that allows me to not instigate the black hole further by saying something stupid or being super irritable and then making it worse through guilt and everything and then i'll withdraw for enough and actually become quite productive <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, that withdrawal period really kind of helps me realise what I have. Mm. I guess it allows for deeper reflection. Mm. And then normally it's something very just normal that snaps me out of it. Like it Mm. will be something that snaps me out of it and Mm. normally just wait out for that. Yeah. And it normally is something that reminds me how grateful I am to have something. It could be that, you know, Nick's called me and said, oh, where are you? Let's go kick the football. (laughs) And it literally could just be that and I'll be like, wait wow, I really appreciate that I have friends that I could just hang out with mm. without any kind of other thing involved. Or it could be that, you know, Benoit is just so funny that night that it just snaps me out of it. A lot of the time I just sleep a little bit more. But I think the really big thing is learning not to resist no, I don't your resist. downtime. Yeah, yeah, like whatever it is, whether it's anxiety, whether it's physical exhaustion, whatever thing that we all have that's our recharge signal, it's important not to resist that and learn to just sit it out. Like there's mm. a reason it's happening. It's your way, your body's way of telling you like just calm down for a second. And if you resist it, you just get more anxious. You yeah. just get more tired, you get more irritable. If you learn to wait out the process and just kind of sit with it, yeah, you might not have a great day for one day, but you're also not going to make it worse. Yeah, totally. I try not to or actually really don't resist anything. One mm. of my biggest mottos is life's too short to leave inspiring things unsaid. Damn it, I got that wrong. Important things Important unsaid. Important things unsaid <laughs> and inspiring things undone. And that kind of just paves my whole life. And mm. so I don't resist any urge to say or do anything. That includes any internal urges to like be anxious or be sad or be reflective or be in a black hole. Mm. I'll let myself be in it. And then you'll just come out of it. And I, But I trust myself mm. and I know myself well enough that I will come out of it. And, yeah, I think it's that whole self-awareness thing. But that only comes from enough reflection about yourself and allowing yourself to reflect about yourself because... Yeah, totally. I think people sometimes are scared to look at themselves. Yeah, 100%. Like really cold, hard look in the mirror kind of thing. And one of the measures, in fact, even just reflecting as we're talking, one of the things that does make you so mature for your age is self-reflection. Like that's probably 
the key behind all of it isn't just like life experience and traveling but it's the reflection you've done from those experiences yeah because I'm so emotion that if I don't <laughs> reflect then it's like my brain will probably explode and I do a lot of like journaling and yeah. writing sometimes on the bike Ooh, I don't think I've tried do to do this right on a bike no what I do you is I'll a road hazard I know I will like press you know on the microphone you can press oh, and then voice you, memos voice memos <gasps> I will literally if you like actually you shouldn't I won't I have all my ideas come on the bike like all create creative ideas as well as reflective ones I'll sometimes actually speak mm. <laughs> to and just leave it as a memo <laughs> like I've never told you this either but last year Sarah asked me to write her reference for Telstra Business Awards Oh my god! Did you do it as a voice memo? Yeah, so wow. I did it. I on my bike, being reflective and stuff. I was like, "Wait, I'm not gonna remember this when I finished." And so I voice memoed pretty much the whole reference. Oh my god! And yeah, it's just how it works. So I, I am very open and communicative. Communicative. Is that the technical science word? Science. Yeah, it came from. It, derived from French oh I thought you would know yeah but. no I didn't recognize it. old French maybe yeah that's, that's something <laughs> I'm better than you at. Um, but yeah I'm very open I speak my mind but obviously reasoned as well because I'm very mm. um I don't like offending people but yeah I speak my mind because I could die tomorrow and there are words that I'd like to have said to people mm. like in a loving way not yeah, like I was like wow okay. your <laughs> but yeah and so what about uh, one of the things that's usually the most common NATA topic of conversation that comes up is self-doubt and mm. whether that manifests as, you know, a body confidence thing or a skill confidence thing being underestimated. You know, for you, I would expect that in business it could have been being underestimated for your age or lack of experience. I know that you're particularly level-headed for a woman at your age because your 20s, particularly your early 20s and particularly at uni is kind of one of those major times where you do start to have crises about what you look like and how much exercise you're doing and what you're eating. And, you know, all of us go through something in some form coming to terms with who we are and what we look like and and our brains. Like it's not necessarily just visual. It can also be like skills-based. And for you, you kind of hit all of those things. You're a woman, you're young and you had businesses and you were doing things that were way beyond your age and what people's expectations are anyone who defies social expectations in some way is always going to have critics and cynics Mm. and some of them yourself is usually the the harshest critic Mm. of you so I know that you don't struggle with it as much as the average person and I admire that so much about you but I'm sure you have had periods like that and so can you talk through kind of how those themes have played a role in your life um in terms of self-doubt I don't think I ever doubt myself purely for the fact that, like I said, I'm so self-aware that... Mm. You set your expectations within your awareness of what you're able to do. like I know what I'm able to do, so I kind of just... I don't exceed it, I just push it. Yeah. But with that being said, I... Do you get nervous ever? Like, do you get nervous before things? My hands are totally clammy at the moment. (laughs) That's just because you're weird. (laughs) This is also true. Um, No, I get nervous. I literally get nervous all the time. I get nervous because... Uh, there's a lot of things that I haven't done in life, but I people think that I have done it. Oh yeah. So I just I've kind seen of you have do that like, before. Where you're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, Ange hasn't. I have no idea what they're things, talking about, but she's just winging it. <laughs> there's also a lot of things that I'm. I'm not. I'm actually okay. This is my thing. I am a master of all. Tra- How do you say it? <laughs> 
a jack of all that trades, one. a master of none. I don't believe that, but no, whatever. You're a master 100%. of all trades and that's full stop. 100%. No, like I get nervous around people all the time. I'm actually not that socially apt. Yeah, we can tell. And I'm joking. <laughs> but like, so for example, last year I went to the VFL tryouts. Mm-hmm. I had never been to a tryout before, ever, for any sport. At any low or elite level, I've never tried out for anything. And I didn't know how the process worked. There's all these people I hadn't, didn't know before. I only really went as moral support for another friend. I wasn't serious about it because I was at boxing. But at the same time, I wanted to know what it was about. So I went in. But I was so nervous because I there was people that were freaking amazing. Mm. Like the reason why I don't think I'm anything is because I look at people around me and I'm like, you are killing it in this you know, behind the scenes kind of way that doesn't need any kind of applause or any social recognition, but you do it anyway. Mm. And that's way more awesome than anything I could do because here I am like sharing every minute of my life on social media. So it's still technically accountable. As much as I have an internal drive, everyone sees it. So a part of that is still a little bit external. Mm. But yeah, I got nervous. I'm still nervous when I am training with the VFL girls because I'm like, I have nothing to give you but you guys have everything to give me. And the fact they even gave me a contract was just a huge thing. So, you know, every training I'll come in nervous because I don't know what we're doing. Like, mm. I don't know drills. I don't like, – <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. So, like, every new skill that I have to learn or every new situation that I put myself in, always nervous. Mm. But it's not a doubt nervous. It's like a novelty, like a, like a comfort zone thing. Uh, yeah, it's never really a doubt thing. Yeah. So, so what about then comparison mm. um, and body confidence? Like, I wonder if it's, as you know, because you're such a tomboy, I wonder if that's part of it, that you're not like so caught up in things or is it like, I've also, by the way, one day and wore a dress and makeup <laughs> and had this big Cinderella moment and I lost my bananas. Anyway, it was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually a very Cinderella moment, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so Cinderella. She walked it up the stairs, so she funny. came late and then she walked up the stairs. So there was like this grand entrance and we all went <gasps> because none of us had ever seen her in a dress before no. I was Sarah went <gasps> and pushed everyone into yeah I was way, really excited what like to the floor. <laughs> I was like you're in a dress and heels oh my god <laughs> um but no like um comparisons I'm not even gonna lie and pretend like that doesn't exist of course it exists I think it's I think everyone has comparison, yeah. that kind of issue. It's how you react to it is the difference. Totally. People can – you can either drown yourself in that world of I'm not good enough. The thing that's always brought me out of comparison or deep comparison is – and this is something I've done for ages that I've only just recently kind of pinpointed as a thing that I've done – is that I will look at – really step out of my own shoes – and step out of the situation and look at it from really far away, like really object- objectively and see how small that ac- that issue actually is. Mm. But, yeah, there definitely are – there's always comparison. Social media is the best and worst for that, but it's how you then use it. use it. So then how do you keep perspective in the fact that you – are on social media a lot because that's part of your job. You know, you, you work as a freelancer in growth and social media and digital strategies for us, obviously, and lots of other businesses as well, which means that you're on your phone a lot for oh. work, not just for fun, but then yeah. also you're on it for fun as well. You know, stories of noise curated by Emily. <laughs> <laughs> like how do you stay how do you combat that feeling of endless connection? And I know, you know, you have traveled the world and you do have lots of friends overseas. So it's an amazing tool for you to be able to have. But then how do you, as particularly as a member of the younger generation who has grown up with it more than we have, how do you keep distance or how do you combat that feeling of needing to be connected all the time? Um, my it- bike. 
Yeah, okay. Means that I have to be disconnected. For anyone that, that, that doesn't follow me or even know me, which most of you guys would not, I cycle everywhere. And when I say <laughs> everywhere, I mean, you know, Sarah lives 20 kilometers away from me and I'm pretty much here every day and I'll cycle to and from no matter what. I think I've, I don't think I've ever, ever driven here in the last three years of being a friend. Sometimes I do get frustrated that I can't disconnect and I am always connected. But yeah, playing sport, playing football, enjoying cycling means that I can't really be on it that much. But at the same time, I kind of do love being on Instagram, on my own Instagram though, because I just, I find myself hilarious. <laughs> we know. <laughs> like, put me in a room really by, funny. Put me in a room by myself and you'll probably hear me giggling. Like on, I have done that before. <laughs> just, yeah, I love being on it because then I can kind of share my humour with my own page. And this is another thing of like, and this is another thing that of setting a standard so low. I am like the realist you could possibly be on Instagram. Like toilet selfies. Every time I have six chins, I'm like, gotta find my phone because I gotta show people my six chins today. Or okay, my but also we kind or... of want to find her a husband, and <laughs> I'm like, you need to stop sharing your poo stories. Just saying. <laughs> so yeah, my whole life is. Um, setting my standards are really low on social. So that when people meet me, they're like, wow, you're amazing. So what did you learn from Ange? Um, just to like set the bar really <laughs> low. <laughs> but to also be you. So play TA. Yes. I think we're naturally gravitating towards playtime. <laughs> Obviously your bike is something that brings you a lot of joy and like resets you to who you are when you're not being work and or sport and or business and or physio and. I don't actually know where there's time to be an Ange that isn't defined by any of those outputs but I'm I know you make time for her so what do you love doing I mean I really want to just out you right now about the guitar because it's right here next to us and I feel like you should play it I don't know the guitar I like to play the guitar I wouldn't say I'm a guitarist I would um yeah I don't I, yeah I do love playing the guitar self-taught which is why I don't... I, I thought you were going to say self-talk. Just chat <laughs> to myself. Just to myself. I like to sit in front of the mirror and just stroke my hair. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> no, I love um, the guitar. I Food blogging. Uh, the Green Counter. Yeah, that was like... I haven't you logged have on a to food that. blog. And is, again, another skill that you have is just like incredible recipe development. Anyways, yeah, back I to love, music. I yeah, I love music. That's one of the things I love. I um, sing to myself. I sing to Paul a lot. Paul's the only <laughs> one that will listen to me. To Paul. Um, I love kicking the football. I really enjoy boxing. I spend a lot of time with you and Nick. A lot of the time we just pretend like it's a work meeting, but really, <laughs> Nick knows. Nick's like, you guys aren't actually having a work meeting because we'll speak. <laughs> we'll speak for like five minutes and then laugh for the other 55 minutes i this is like super nerdy but i don't read books she does now but i've converted you you have but i didn't read books because i love reading journal articles oh my god so i read journal articles (laughs) but about really cool stuff you know your depth of knowledge in physio about like the anatomy and physiology is just incredible so interesting yeah but that's because like i i am constantly wanting to learn that stuff though so mm. i'll listen to podcasts all the time what about when you're not learning though 
when I'm not learning. Because I know learning in itself is something that brings you joy, but it's also not restful and it's not play. Okay, well, what about... Cryptic crosswords. I was just going <laughs> to... I knew you were waiting for that. We're playing newlyweds game. I just finished your sentence. <laughs> I love cryptic crosswords. If anyone's never done it before, I'm happy to jump on FaceTime with you and actually teach you... <laughs> Would you do a live workshop? I will seriously do a live workshop with you or I'll actually ride to your homage wherever that may be within a 1,000-kilometre distance. If it's more than 800 kilometres, you might have to leave five days for delivery only in business hours. But I love one eight hundred Angfoot. I love cryptic cryptic crosswords. It's such a nerdy thing, but it's so brain stimulating. But you get that like immediate satisfaction when you get one. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, cryptic crosswords aren't like normal crosswords where you actually don't need a lot of general knowledge because the answer is within the clue. There's a cryptic part and there's a clue part. And then through within that clue, you can find the answer. Sometimes it's like a jumbled up word within the answer, mm-hmm. which is like super fun to do. Um, but yeah, that's probably one of my favorite things to do other than that. And you got me into thousand piece puzzles. Oh, puzzles. Yeah. yeah. That and means like, so much fun. Yeah. They're, I guess, the main things that I like doing. Okay, so wrapping up with the last few questions, we could talk for hours about Ange. Obviously, you can see how interesting she is. I think we're already at an hour and a half. Oh, my God. Um, No, it's amazing. But And also, you've had like so many less years than everyone else to actually fill with stuff and yet you still have taken up a whole episode. Well, I was. I was like, I don't think this will be like an accomplishment kind of Um, like. It's pretty much an accomplishment episode. I think it's very much just a this is how my brain works and (laughs) – here. How I built this, yeah. Andrew's brain. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Three things that people don't usually ask about you or know about you, which is hard because you're pretty open with all your things, but I'm sure there's something that people haven't heard before. Yeah, I'm so open. First thing, I realised this the other day. So on my Instagram stories, I put a question thing up and I said, what do I do for work? And this is like testament to, I guess, myself, but then my following because people – I don't take myself seriously. I'm sarcasm queen. And so I put it up and I was like, okay, let's actually see how many people know what I do for work. The responses I got were literally professional foot, (laughs) professional pooper, professional, like, you know, chin maker. And I was like, no, no one actually responded with anything that was worthy of responding to and or with. And, yeah, that's one of the things I guess people don't know about me, what I actually do for work. That's so funny. That's the first thing that most people know about other people. And for you, that's like one of the three things people don't know about you. People know me for paper planes, the food truck. People um, know me because of you. That's actually most people know me because of you. But, yeah, I work. I quit all my jobs last year and I'm purely freelance in the digital marketing and social media space where I have actually no qualifications but – a lot of experience and a lot of drive to learn. So I do socials and marketing for you guys. So Match Made and Match Milk Bar. And I also have just jumped on a really exciting tech company called, uh, who's launching an, a travel app called Travely. That's really cool. You kind of can upload photos and it turns it into an interactive map of where you've been in the world and then you can add recommendations, which is stuff that we're working on. It's still in beta testing, but it's coming out really soon, which is exciting. And then I actually speak with Bicycle Network 
Um, so I go to schools and speak about how I did goodwill hunting and how to get young girls into physical, um, physical activity. Um, also do with paper planes. It was big for us to educate other people about business. And so we did a lot of school talks where we were completely transparent about how to start a business because there's absolutely no information out there. There's like, like steps and stuff, but they actually never get to the nitty gritty of like, they're like, oh, okay, get a ABN. But how the hell do you do that? Like, what do you need to do that? So we speak completely transparently about that. So openly that someone could ask us how we calculated profit margin or how much capital we put into it. Or they could ask about numbers and we could do, and they could ask about communication. They could ask about um, what we hate most about it or what we love most about it. And we will, we'll answer. We're a completely open book. So we do that a lot as well. Um, and then obviously in physio student. So, yeah, people don't know what I do for work. People don't know that. Yeah, I think people don't know most things. Two more. But my tooth thing was a good one. Your tooth thing was a good one, yeah, but you let go of it too early. Oh, but would that not be no. number two? <laughs> okay, so she's, she's lame. That's number two. Um, what people don't know about me is, well, what did you not know about me and two? That you're scared of the dark. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually scared of the dark. <laughs> like, I can cycle home if there's lights around, but... Like the eerie dark scares me. Last the other few weeks ago, we kind of went to like kind of camping, but not really. And Sarah was like, "Oh, I left my thing outside." And like I was like, "Don't <laughs> was worry, like, everyone I'll get it." I was like, "I'll get it." And then she was like, "Can you come with me?" <laughs> and then two seconds later, I was like, "Sarah, can you please come?" Because I think I know you know I'm scared of the dark, but Sally doesn't know that I'm scared of the dark. <laughs> so I like I had to hold her hand and walk out oh. like twenty meters into the dark. Yeah, so I'm fully scared of the dark. And the last thing is probably that... You're triggered by hills and lights. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... It doesn't count. If I know it, then it's not something no one's ever heard no, before. Nobody's heard that before, though. This is like full in-depth of Anne's brain. So there's things that trigger me emotionally. <laughs> it's really weird and I don't know why. But being on a hill... The she minute I'm on really, a hill... really, really emotional The minute hills. I'm on a hill, I'm like, Sarah... <laughs> I really appreciate you. I love and I you. really love you so much. And look and at the landscape. And, and just the hills. And I'll like get so emotional. And I literally just tell my deep and darkest secrets. And lights, something about city night lights gets to me. Okay. And very last question just to finish off, because you know I love motivational quotes so much. What is your favorite motivational quote? One is you do you. Very simple, but literally just to you and you'll probably live the happiest life you ever will and have and the other one is one I said before so life's too short to leave important words unsaid and inspiring things undone which is take it how you want it but I'm very big in if you love someone tell them you love them if you are not happy with something say speak up about it um and then if you want to do something do it it sounds um easier said than done but the only thing that's stopping you is you this is, uh, this is what the cool thing about this podcast is, is that you realise there is people have that exact thought all the time and the most successful people get through that and you realise the only common factor between them all is that they just did it. Absolutely. The, yeah, the bottom line is just to do all the things that you want to do because what is really the purpose otherwise. Amazing. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome. I'm really sorry <laughs> for my brain fart, but I'm a very... At least it wasn't a real fart, just saying. <laughs> I did a couple of those too. <laughs> what a little pocket rocket, right? <laughs> Such an interesting story and in only 22 years. Can you even imagine what might be next for Ange? I hope you enjoyed hearing her story and got to know her a little bit more. And I'd love to hear what you think as always. So please take a screenshot to share and make sure you tag Angfoot and me and give stories of Benoya followed too for the laughs. Also, given the connection to Matcha Maiden and to see if you're all still listening, I've got a little discount for you for our online store at matchamaiden.com, where our new matcha chocolate is flying out the door. Use Ange20 for 20% off the whole store. Hope you're having an amazing day and a seizing your yay. <laughs>